Welcome once again to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by Greg Lance Watkins. We're releasing this week's podcast on Tuesday morning because it's been a very, very eventful few days with regards to the Brexit process and we wanted to cover the events that were going on on Monday in Parliament and indeed into the early hours of Tuesday morning. So we've gone for a Tuesday morning release and the topic of this podcast is Burko, Boris and Brexit. Greg, it's quarter past two in the morning on the 10th of September and we've just witnessed a prorogation of Parliament and I've been fascinated by Parliament and parliamentary procedure since I was a very young child. What I have just witnessed is the most disgusting behaviour I have ever seen from MPs in about 30 odd years of watching Parliament and the Speaker who has already brought the office of Speaker into disrepute during the course of the last few years, but particularly this year, bringing it into the gutter. And I don't use that terminology lightly. For those who may be listening to this over their breakfast on Tuesday morning, what happened was this. The prorogation of Parliament is normally a routine matter, often quite a jovial, light-hearted atmosphere. What happened on this occasion is that Blackrod entered the House of Commons, did the standard short speech, And there was some kind of scuffle behind the Speaker's chair. And it looked as though certain Labour MPs tried to hold the Speaker in his chair. When the scuffle calmed down, the Speaker sat glued to his seat and made a statement about this not being normal circumstances and MPs may not want to go to the House of Lords. And then those on the government benches did then follow Blackrod out to the House of Lords, as indeed did the Speaker. And the Labour and SNP MPs chanted, shame on you, shame on you. We then had the routine matter in the House of Lords where um, we had three rather than five royal commissioners because two uh, refused to take part. Then returned to the House of Commons. The Conservative side mostly did not return, certainly not any from the government benches. John Burko then played to his gallery of mainly Labour and SNP MPs and we are told that while those who went to the Lords went to the Lords, those who stayed in the Commons were singing uh, either Scottish nationalist songs or Jerusalem when it was Labour's turn to sing. But then as um, Burko wound down, the normal routine is those you shake hands with the Speaker and you leave and then Parliament reconvenes after prorogation. On this occasion, John Burko treated them cheated his audience of Labour and SNP MPs to a sort of stand-up comedy routine. And then, um, as they left, he was joking with them and he was kissing the female members of Parliament as they exited the chamber. It was the most disgusting display I have ever seen, without a shadow of a doubt. Your thoughts, please. Well, all it needed to make it really an obscenity was Corbyn and MacDonald singing... Uh, going down to Dublin in the green, um, which was one of the key uh, IRA songs and also um, during the Irish independence of the 20s and was for a long time banned. Um, I totally agree with you. Uh, I think um, Burko brought shame on his office and shame on Parliament. Um, his action uh, was nothing short of 
an insult to the Queen because prorogation is on her instruction and based on uh, a speech either read by the Queen or read by her emissary, uh, which it was this evening, and to have acted in that manner, in my opinion, uh, was suitable grounds for instant dismissal at very least. Well, uh, we have we have a delicately balanced constitution in this country. It is unwritten, which provides a degree of flexibility that other countries do not have, like the United States, for example. But there are lots of conventions that, in theory, one can break. But just because you can, it really doesn't mean that you should. For example, the Salisbury Convention. And what we've seen over the course, particularly over the course of 2019, is how Speaker Burko has been willing to break a number of such conventions and the office of speaker had been undermined even before the summer recess and the speaker's politically neutral status had been brought into question and so things were bad enough even before we got to this evening but this evening has hit a new low i believe i question how it can go lower uh, but what is far more worrying is i question how it can be dragged back um, because I have nothing but contempt for the Speaker and for the opposition for their squalid behaviour. Yes, and I think back to the first Speaker I can remember was Speaker Bernard Wetherill, who still wore the wig. Then we had the Betty Boothroyd years. She presided over things. I don't share Betty Boothroyd's politics, but she presided over things with good humour and understood parliamentary procedure, particularly in her first term, 92 to 97, she was very strong. Lost a little bit of her power, 97 to 2001, but was still very effective. I think the reason she wasn't quite hitting the heights in that second term was because Blair's majority was so big that a lot of the zest in Parliament was being taken out of it anyway. Then we went through the era of the late Michael Martin, um, and uh, again, I have no personal ill will towards Michael Martin, but he was a poor speaker in my view, and this handling of the expenses scandal was particularly poor. And then nearly a decade ago now, I think it was, what, 2009, Burko became speaker, if I remember rightly. Um, I was, first of all, very impressed with him. I mean, I always thought as an individual he was oily, and um, there was a smugness about him and a pomposity that I didn't like. But I'll say this. In the early days of John Burko, he brought some eloquence to the chair that had been lacking under Michael Martin. He did certain things I approved of. He kept business moving swiftly. He dragged ministers away from their desks to come to Parliament to answer important urgent questions. I remember David Cameron had to leave an engagement early because Speaker Burko had dragged him back to the House of Commons to answer questions. He also wasn't afraid to dish out a healthy dose of sarcasm to uh, certain individuals, particularly David Cameron and George Osborne, which I welcomed. But what has happened, particularly in the last few years, is the pomposity has got the better of him. There's a reason in the United States, for example, that presidents can't serve any more than two terms. And it does seem that even in this country, prime ministers seem to get into trouble if they serve for any more than about eight years. Those who should be on their side start turning against them and they start to, to enjoy the trappings of power a bit too much. And I think Burko, who had the sort of personality that is prone to enjoying these sort of things a bit too much, it has really gone to his head. 
and he's got ideas completely above his station. It's something that's gradually been increasing over the last few years. But tonight, I think he has crossed some very serious lines. I think he's come across as an opinionated, bullying, pompous ass. Mm. And there's no place for him. Um, I'd already put out earlier when he uh, announced that he was leaving um, because he didn't want anybody else to have publicity. He wanted to be the centre of attention. So in the middle of um, important debates this evening, um, he announced that he would either leave if um, a decision was made for a general election or he would leave on the 31st. Um, obviously, he thinks he's much more important uh, than uh, Brexit, uh, though I doubt if he gets 17.4 people, leave alone 17.4 million people vote for him. And um, I had put out a tweet earlier in the evening in view of his uh, the shambolic personal life he has. Um, we're all well aware of politicians saying that they are retiring to spend more time with their family. Um, I uh, lampooned the situation and said that he was uh, opted, no doubt, to retire to find his wife. Um, well, his wife, Sally Burko, she's somebody I clashed with on social media some years ago when she was very active on Twitter for a period. And I said to her... Well, it must have been seven or eight years ago now, perhaps, that her behaviour on social media was undermining her husband's role. And she she gave me a bit of stick for that. And she actually quoted me when she was a guest on Have I Got News For You. But then we recall just a few years later, maybe one, two years after that little exchange I had with her, she got into trouble for alluding, making well, some quite serious allegations about the late Lord McAlpine that she couldn't substantiate, and ended up having to pay compensation for that. Um, then we had, she went in the celebrity Big Brother house. Then she made that series with um, Paddy Doherty, which was actually quite amusing on times, but not really the sort of thing you'd expect the speaker's wife to go into. And you could see how that could undermine the speaker. And then, well, we know about um, certain indiscretions in their personal lives, in, well, in her personal life to be specific. But she had a very, very public... Uh, relationship that that's that's right with with her husband's cousin yes and was even filmed by one newspaper and she volunteered for it in draped in a bed sheet in a hotel on the other side of the River Thames, mm. with a room looking out over Parliament. Yeah, that, that's right. I, I don't want to discuss the affair too much here, because I'm aware that they've got young children, and I don't really want... It's not fair to involve them in this, but we have seen how her behaviour undermined the role of her husband. Now, I'm not by any means saying that the wife is the property of a husband, but when your husband has a high-profile role, and bearing in mind John Burko became Speaker after the expenses scandal and his role was to try and restore Parliament's reputation in light of that, it is wise of the wife or even the husband of a speaker to behave with a certain decorum. And, OK, Sally Burko has had much less of the limelight in the last few years, 
but she has not helped her husband's cause. But even John Burko himself, with speeches he's made outside Parliament and statements he's made outside Parliament, and in the last year or so statements he's made inside Parliament, where he has broken various conventions... I thought his behaviour towards um, Donald Trump and the state visit was particularly poor. Whatever one may think of Donald Trump, if he is on a state visit, it is basic courtesy to offer him the chance to make a speech to the Palace of Westminster. And again, I don't condone some of the crass statements President Trump has made over the years, but a lot worse people than Trump have been given state visits. A lot worse people than Trump have addressed both Houses of Parliament. And for Burko to intervene in that was also overstepping his authority, in my view. I would totally agree with you. Um, look, he's trash. He has done everything he can to trash Parliament and his office. Let's move on. Where are we today? Well, where we are today is with, OK, we look at the situation with Boris Johnson and the bill um, that got royal assent, which doesn't actually rule out a no-deal Brexit per se, as many people say it does. But what it does is it legally requires him to send a letter to the EU demanding, uh, requesting rather, an extension, I should say. Um, so let, let's say that Boris Johnson does follow the law on this. There's various permutations. I welcome your thoughts on this. Let me just say what I think the permutations are. Number one is, what if the EU simply says no? And let's remember that all 27 EU member states would need to agree to an extension. And on Sunday, France indicated that it would not be willing to grant an extension under the current circumstances. And at the meeting um, on Monday morning, Monday lunchtime, between the Irish Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and Boris Johnson, uh, Taoiseach Varadkar uh, said that he was not inclined to offer an extension unless there was specific purpose or alternatively what if mr johnson follows the law that has been passed writes the letter but behaves in a very difficult way when he speaks to the eu and then they don't grant an extension that that's not my preferred option i i believe in in being diplomatic and courteous but what if he was to follow that road or here's one that has been banded in the last 24 hours what if Mr Johnson, who spent the weekend at Chevening, the Foreign Secretary's country residence, he was there with his controversial chief strategist Dominic Cummings, and there were signals from that meeting that Mr Johnson will follow the law and send a letter to the EU requesting an extension, but will then send a second letter telling them why they should ignore the first letter. What do you think is going to happen? I think that... It is possible that because we won't get the agreement that is essential to us, i.e. a, a built-in clean break, um, control of our own borders without um, the impertinence of um, foreign countries telling us um, where and how we have our borders, um, I think there is every possibility uh, that um, the agreement will not measure up and we may well find that a country friendly to us uh, will block the extension. Uh, it's also possible that the French um, would act with a little courage um, and uh, also 
block the extension because although you alluded to the French saying they were minded not to um, agree an extension, um, it was a pretty mixed message from France. And at the end of the day, what is the point in an extension? Um, three and a half years down the track, Parliament has, um, by dishonesty on the part of the opposition in the main, and I say in the main because there were 22 uh, Tory MPs who joined with the opposition, um, they have reneged on their own Act of Parliament, which they passed and done everything they can to totally emasculate any negotiating team we put into the field. Right, let's uh, stop there for a sec because it's worth reminding people that a very good estimate, um, going by Professor Chris Hanratty's figures, are that of the seats that were Labour in 2016 at the time of the referendum, 148 voted leave. 84 voted remain and of those that were conservative at that time 247 voted leave and 80 voted remain but we've had a general election since then and every single conservative mp and every single labor mp was elected on a manifesto fully committing to implement the result of the referendum and their backtracking on this is a betrayal of the people who elected them to the positions as members of parliament let us not forget that they went from that into a new parliament where the Tory Prime Minister, Theresa May, had a smaller major majority. Um, and even so, they enacted into law by a huge majority in the House of Commons, Article 50, whereby it was implicit that... Um, the government would endeavour uh, to obtain a bespoke deal um, and that in default of obtaining a bespoke deal, the backstop position was we would leave with no deal. Now, a huge majority of the parliament agreed that and it was enacted into law. But because parliament the opposition purely in a spirit of weenie waggling and trying to get themselves in with their hands on um, the tiller of the ship of state took the position to stop the government duly elected enacting law passed into law by the majority of the mps and they did everything to sabotage it. Do you believe we will leave the European Union on the 31st of October? Yes. On what there level of no certainty? There is no point in prolonging. For the simple reason, the situation will be no damn difference. If you make it December, if you make it January, or if you make it 2025, the British people voted to leave. They voted to leave in the clear understanding that 
It was a binary decision. Le stay or leave. It was said by the Prime Minister of the day, and it was said on the floor of the House of Commons, and it was never questioned. Firstly, that it would be honoured, the outcome of the referendum. Secondly, that it would mean that we were leaving the European Union, that we were not staying in a customs union, that we were not staying in a single market, and that we would not be subject to the ECJ. My thanks as ever to Greg and my thanks to you for listening. Well, it's been quite a night and I'm sure there'll be plenty more twists and turns in the weeks ahead. Do keep listening to our podcasts. See you next week. Mm-hmm.